Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Pesachim, daf Kuf Yud Zion, page 117. Again, our daf seems to go on many interesting tangents, um, but I want to focus on a particular piece which has to do with the authorship and also gives us some insight into uh, pieces of Tehillim, of the Book of Psalms. And it begins as follows. Tanya Haya Rabbi Meir Omer, so Rabbi Meir taught the following in a brisa: All the praises that are said in, um, in Tehillim, which were cited by uh, David, right? David Amalek, who we say is traditionally the author of, uh, of Tehillim, but now we're going to see why. So he takes this pasuk, which is from Psalms uh, chapter 72, verse 20, and where it says, Kalu tefilot David, right, which is they're ended, the prayers of David, the son of Yishai, ended. He says, don't read them as Kalu, rather read them as Kol Eru, right? All of these, which means that the entire book of Psalms is basically all prayers or uh, different supplications that were written by David Hamel. So if people wanted to know where the actual source for this comes from, uh, now you know the actual passage in the Talmud that tells us this. Now the Gemara goes on and says, right? So uh, it wants to talk a little bit about, because remember, we're in a discussion about um, Hala a little bit. And so the Gemara wants to explain this because there are going to be those uh, who may not totally agree with um, with uh, Rabbi Meir. Halal, Zemi Amru, Rabbi Yossi. So in terms of Hallel, right, what is who actually, who said Hallel, okay? Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rabbi Yossi says, um, Elazar uh, Bini, he says, my son says, Omar Moshe Yisrael, right? So Moshe and Yisrael, Amruhu b'shashalu min hayam, b'chalokina lav chaberav lomar, shadavid amru, right? And so he says that his son says that Moshe and the Jewish people basically said this when they came out from the sea. In other words, after the splitting of the sea, they said it. But his Chaverev, his colleagues, you know, disagreed with him. And they said, no, who actually said it? They said, David uh, no, it was actually David Hamel who actually said this. The Nirin Devarav Midivrehan, Avshar Yisrael, Shachtu Et Pisechem, the Natlu Lulavehem, the Lo Amrushira. And so now the Gemara asks, what's, well, it sort of says a very interesting historical piece, right? Which is when we have these different books that are in the canon of Tanakh, on the one hand, we say they're in the canon, right? We have 24 books that comprise what we consider to be the Bible. But at the same time, we also know they were not all written at the same time, right? They were written in particular time periods, but then they sort of all get put into the canon itself. And then in a certain way, lose all sense of time. But here they're asking an interesting question. We have one group of people, right? The son of Rabbi Yossi, who says his son, Elazar, says Moshe and the Jewish people, they were the first people to recite Hallel. And that sort of makes sense. I mean, traditionally we say it's that they said Az Yashir, but, you know, we could see why someone would argue that they would say Hallel, right? Then he has these colleagues who dispute Elazar and they say, no, it's David who actually said it. But what's the reason why Rabbi Yossi says that his son, Elazar, makes more sense? Because he says, how could it be that the Jewish people, right, for hundreds of years, in other words, between that time of Moshe until David HaMelech lived, never said Hallel when they did Pesach or when they took their Lulevin. 
And therefore, it has to be that there needed to be some type of ancient Hallel, and Hallel had to exist even before the time of David HaMelech. I thought this was like a trippy piece of Gemara, right? Because it's sort of, <laughs> right? It's asking sort of like an existential question that has no answer. On the one hand, it wants to acknowledge particular books of Tanakh are authored at a particular period of time, right? We want to say David HaMelech wrote Tehillim. David HaMelech is born and died, and he only lives for a certain period of time. And it's fine to say that he was prolific and wrote 150 chapters of Sefer Tehillim. But the problem with that is, is that we know that Hala, which consists of chapters 113 through 119, sorry, through 118, what do we do with that afterwards, right? What are we supposed to do with the fact that, um, you know, that that David HaMelech lived much later and that there were all of these, uh, you know, events or sort of traditional times where we say Hallel, but like, how could the Jewish people have not said Hallel? Now, I think really what they're talking about here is, is that they're saying that the saying of Hallel is such an integral part to the experience of, right, Korban Pesach, right, which we know it's going to keep coming back to and we're going to spend a lot of time in this stuff and the next stuff talking about Hallel, and also the part of, you know, taking your lulav, right? I can't imagine doing lulav and esrog without saying halal with it. So again, I find this to be a little bit trippy because it's sort of saying something that doesn't really have a good answer to it. So the other example they give is that Micha's idol, right? This is what it says. The Pesel of Micha stood in tears and the Jewish people were reciting halal before it. So here what they're referring to is there was this idol, right? If you look in Shoftim chapter Yud Zion, um, and that it was uh, this particular idol, and it was still standing in the days of David HaMelech. And so the idea here is what the Gemara is saying is, is that the idol was crying. Really, it's saying that the idol was laughing um, as a way to sort of not shame uh, the Jewish people here. But what the Gemara is trying to say here is that the Jews would not be able to say some of the verses, right? Uh, that are in Tehillim, okay, um, that um, because they were worshiping idols, so it has to be that Hallel is actually very, very old. Um, but it, it's interesting to see again how on the one hand we want to say that particular passages in Tanakh take place at a certain time, but yet at the same time we acknowledge that it was written at a certain time. And it's not clear how exactly the Gemara is trying to work that out for us. The Gemara goes on and says, Right, so now again, we're going to have another praise here. All the songs of praise that David said in the book of Tehillim. So Rabbi Eliezer says that David HaMelech said them all about himself. In other words, it's a reflection of all of David HaMelech's life experience. And we know that many people, when they read Psalms, they try to read some of the chapters and they try to say like, well, maybe it relates to this particular experience that we know about David HaMelech that we read, you know, in Shmuel or something like that. Whereas Rabbi Yeshua says, Rabbi Yeshua, Merkei Neged Sibor. Rabbi Yeshua is saying, no, he said them about the community. In other words, they weren't a particular experience of something that he experienced. Although I'm going to say, I think I'm a little bit more in team Rabbi Eliezer because there's something so personal about many of the chapters in Tehillim. But he's going to say, no, these were really meant as sort of a communal uh, supplication. The Chachamim say, Right, so the Chacham are going to come and they're going to say sort of the, you know, the compromise. No, some were specific to David HaMelech in a specific 
you know, experience that he underwent. They were meant for for him and his feelings um, and what was happening to him at the time. And some know they were really meant for the tzibar. And how do you figure out when it's written in the Lashon Yachid, when it's written in singular language, that's just about David HaMelech. When it's written in a plural form, that's about the community. So again, now, so first we dealt with sort of the time issue, right? What, what time was, was it actually written in? And the problem with saying when we say it's only David HaMelech is that there are certain portions of our tefillah that can't exist beforehand. And what are the implications of that? The second point here is to sort of say like, well, why would we sort of include, I think in a way, a safer that was just about one's person, one person's personal experience. And so I think the Chachamim are ultimately coming to say, no, some of it is related to David Amel's personal experiences. Some of it were things he wrote about that he knew were going to sort of be said by the community at large. But I think, again, it's picking up on what makes Tehillim particularly unusual. It's not necessarily a safer that sort of has these grand nevuot for the future. It's a very personal safer. And I think that's why people really relate and continue say, to say Tehillim uh, even now. And finally, I'll end with this. Nitzuach v'nigon, right? Anytime that we see the terms in one of the parak of Tehillim of Nitzuach or Nigun, la'atid lavo. This is particularly a psalm that is filled with something that is talking about the future. Maskil al turgman David, right? And then anything that has the word maskil, right, means that it was said by uh, 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 a, a turgman. Sorry, I read one more word that I shouldn't have read, meaning a, a, a person who sort of was saying some type of public address. So in other words, everybody would hear this. David means more if it says, if the psalm begins with, of David I've always loved this particular passage of, uh, of the Talmud because I think it says something about sort of like how is art or creativity inspired. So when it says right, it's saying that a came upon David and he was inspired to say that. And it makes sense. It's like something happens to David right? And then he says the Shira. But if it says a psalm of David, it says that he said the song and then afterwards the divine, the Shechina comes upon him. So I think it's recognizing that in both of those cases, there is some type of divine inspiration. But the question is, when does that inspiration happen? Is it beforehand or is it after he completes that creation, uh, then it happens? So again, I think in this small passage, we have a lot of elements about Tehillim, right? The fact that it is an eternal type of safer that always relates to human experience, but what we know is tied to written, at least we want to say at a particular chronological time and how do we deal with that issue, right? Um, then an issue of who was David HaMelech really writing this for? Was David HaMelech really writing this with the sense that future generations were going to say it? And then finally, the question of, when we say that David HaMelech wrote this, what type of divine inspiration was there involved? And, and, and the Gemara wants to say ultimately that there was divine inspiration. Sometimes it, it came before and sometimes it came after. And we can see that with clues within the chapter of Tehillim itself. So I'm gonna come back to the, the question of the text of Hallel and the historical application of when it would be said in a moment. I just wanna speak for a moment about Tehillim 
Um, we know, right, that the Gemara in Bhavabhatra, I think it's Yodalit, um, assigns authorship, right? Who wrote each of the books of Tanakh? And when it comes to the Sefer Tilim, it says David and others, right? And the others, and there's a list of who else has Tehillim in their names, right? Because the same way that we have, I suppose, the most famous Mizmor Tilim is Ashrei, right? Which is Mizmor Le David. The same way that we've got Mizmor Le David, there's Maskil Le David, Le David Mizmor. There are 73 of the 150 Mizmor Tilim. There's 73 of them that have David's name somewhere in there. And some of those Kotarot, some of those titles do have um, your Dana, what you said, they have a connection to specific events in David's life, right? Kishabarach me Avshalom Beno, when he was running away from his son Avshalom, or, you know, Perknan Aleph, right? After he, the whole story with Batsheva, right? There's, there, it's not a stretch to, or if it's a stretch, it's Chazal stretch, right? To assign the connection between David's life and some of the Mizraitilim that have his name on them. But the question here, and I think it's really beautifully done on this stuff, the idea that some of the Tilim are, you know, so personal to him, and yet, and yet, when you read them without that Koter, if you read it without the title that puts it onto his life, you can still apply it beyond, right? The idea that, the, the fact is, the, one of the verses from, from Mizmor Nun Aleph is the way we open the Shimon Esrei, Right? Uh, the fact that that comes from that Mizmor Tilim in the context, it's very much about David HaMelech. And when we remove it from that context, oh my goodness, it's universal in, in such a such a very powerful way. And I think that if you, if I think one of the reasons that Mizmor, that, I'm sorry, one of the reasons that Tilim as a book has lasted and provided sucker for so long for so many people, right? I think that part of that is because on the one hand, it's very personal to whether it's David or other authors, right, along the way. And on the other hand, I th- I would say every single one of them can be regarded in a, you know, t- springboard off of it to a more universal kind of approach, uh, meaning meaning that anybody can relate to it as a personal thing. It doesn't have to, it's not specifically linked to David, which I think is basically, instead of saying, oh, we've got a machlok at which one, you know, whether this is universal or personal, I I want to come and say, well, let's say both. You know, why not both? Because, um, because I think in this case, I think we do say that they all applied personally, you know, to David, at least certainly the 73 that are ascribed to him or connected to him. Um, and alternatively, you know, we wouldn't continue to say them if they didn't also have, I would say, personal reach across the generations. I would say also that um, the fact that not all of them, like the fact that not all of them were written uh, by well, the Gemara says that not all of them were written by David, right? The fact that some of them seem to have been in effect long before David came around, I think, is um, it's a you know, that's the plain sense of the text. And I understand why people don't like it because if you want to say that well, all of Sefer Tilim is by David Amalek, then that's a bit of a challenge. You have to say that some of them got what they, I you know, I don't even know how you could do it. But the Gemara doesn't make us, right? That's why the Gemara Bhav Batra, which again gives multiple authors to this book, I think is very helpful for us. Um, I want to just put this this whole bit in context, because uh, we've been going through these Mishnayot, which kind of track us through the Seder, and this whole discussion, everything that you've just elaborated Yardin, on the praise that they would say, and the bit that I'm gonna uh, you know read in a moment, is coming off of the Mishnah where it says, you know, therefore. 
Lefichach, and this section, of course, is is in the text of the Haggadah as well. Lefichach, anachnu chayevim la'adot lahalel shabayich l'fa'er l'romim la'ader l'varech la'alei l'kaleis. All words of praise, praise, bless, thank, glorify, extol. L'misha asa l'avotenu v'lano, he who did for our forefathers and for us, akol hanisima elo, all of these miracles. Right, so all of this discussion of Hallel and and all of this pray all of these praiseworthy or statements of praise is is a fulfillment of that you know uh, level or edict of the Mishnah about what's supposed to happen again at the seder. We're supposed to stop and say praise. Of course, the that's us at the seder, and here we've got this interplay of the historical uh, as compared to what what were Bnei Israel saying, you know, at the time. And so this goes on. The Gemara here on, uh, I'm still on Amr Aleph, picks up on the same thing and says, you know, where was this Hallel first said? Which again, takes it out of the David context. Tanor Banan, Hallel ze mi amaro, who said it? Rebbe Lezomer, Moshe of Yisrael, Amruhu Bashash, Amdu Ahayam. That Rebbe Lezer says that Moshe and Bnei Israel said it as they stood at the sea, meaning at the Red Sea. Heim Amru, they said, Lo Lanu Hashem Lo Lanu, meaning not to us, but to your name give glory. And of course, this is part of the Hallel that is recited as part of the Haggadah. So, I mean, I guess all of Hallel is somewhere in there in the Haggadah, but the idea that it is presented in the Haggadah as praise to God, and with the claim here of the Gemara that it was first recited at the splitting of the sea to begin with, you know, makes it, I think, even that much more powerful than simply a a recitation of the thing that we say that is praise, that is hallel. Um, the Gemara continues, So the Divine Spirit says, for my own sake, I'm doing this. Um, you know, because, right, not for us, but for your own name. And in fact, that's the response. That's what I'll do. That verse, that's a citation actually from Yishayahu. It's not from Tilim at all. In response to what's said in Tehillim from Ben Israel saying, Lo lano Hashem lo lano, so then this verse in Shayao says, For my own sake, right? For my own sake, God responds to Ben Israel as if, right? The Gemara puts these, these verses together. Obviously, that's not how they fall out in Tanakh. But also, this question of when did, when was Hallel? When was this Hallel initially recited, right? That's the whole question here. So the first claim by Rebbe Lezer is that it was Moshe Ben Israel at Yam Suf, at the Red Sea. But then we've got another opinion, Rebbe Hudomer, Yoshua of Yisrael Amruah B'Sha'asham Dualehen Malchei Kna'an. It's that this was first said then by Rebbe, according to this view, that Yoshua and Ben Israel said it when they defeated the Malchei Kna'an, the kings of Kna'an, when they um, came to enter the land of Israel and conquer it. Uh, this is, again, the, the story there is in Sefer Yoshua, uh, but the point, I think, it dovetails very well when you're dealing with what you were saying before in terms of this question of how do we apply this historically, the idea that this is from long before David HaMelech and that it seems to have been in play for a long time. Of course, if it was said at the at the sea, theoretically, it could also have been said then by Yoshua and, and his entourage because, you know, you could recite something that you already knew about. The question of when it was first said, you know, it, it's an interesting one because because it suggests that then, you know, if you have a different opinion, you say Yoshua said it and not Moshe, then it sounds like, you know, only by Yehoshua, not by, not and not and also. Um, and again, the, the phrase then is Lolanu or Mishiva. It's the exact same uh, interplay of these two verses. Again, the one that comes from Yishayahu and the one that comes from Tilim. 
Of course, the conundrum there would be, why is a verse from Yeshayahu, from the book of Isaiah, presented as... Um, presented as something that is out of time in the same way that these Mizmorite Tehillim are. Because the book, of, the book of Isaiah doesn't have that same uh, presentation of, well, yes, some of this comes from long before Yeshayahu himself. The presumption is that it's, even if there were other people who are assisting in the writing of the book of Yeshayahu, it is supposed to, supposedly, as, as far as I know, all from his era, all from his day. And then, of course, we have other opinions as well. Rabbi Lezer, Amodai Omar, Omer, Dvoro, Varak, Amua, Bisha'asha, Amar, Alehem, Sisra. The claim is that this was first said um, that when, by Devora and Barak when they were fighting Sisra um, in the book of Shoftim. That's chapters 4 and 5 in Shoftim. And there that answers. So the Gemara comes and answers this question of how could this verse in Yeshayahu be a response to something that, you know, so far predates Yeshayahu. And the answer is that it was, this line was said, you know, with Ruach HaKodesh, with some measure of prophecy or a lesser level of divine uh, intuition, something like that. Reb Lezer ben Azariel Merachis Givsei Ato Amrua B'Shasha Amad Alehem Sancherev. Oh, look, yet another, um, another, what, a time of need where Ben Israel said this and, you know, as as a matter of praise in the in the battle, I guess, an existential and um, in, you know, essential battle with Sancherev. So Chizkiyahu said this. Now Chizkiyahu Amelech, the king Chizkiyahu actually lived in the time of Yeshayahu. So then that's, that actually lines up pretty nicely. And then Rabbi Akiva says, and this is, I think, interesting, um, because Rabbi Akiva, we know, is a master of interpretation, especially in terms of this kind of more midrashic um, approach. Rabbi so <laughs> the claim here is that these three, Hanan, Mishael, and Azariah, this is much, much later, right? Meaning long after David HaMelech, that they said it when they stood um, uh, against Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Bavel. Of course, again, if David, if it's already in Tehillim by then, they still could be reciting this halal. It is praise and it is worthy of being used, right? Now we're getting to the very end of Tanakh in terms of the histor- historicity of Tanakh. Um, the claim is here that Mordechai and Esther said it, when Haman stood against them. Which then means, of course, that this this phrasing of Lolano, right, not for our sake, but for your sake, God, is the prayer, I guess, of B'nai Yisrael upon any um, dire threat to the, to the, as I said before, existential being of B'nai Israel as a people. And the idea is that it's not for our sake that we want to continue, but it's for the name of God that we should actually continue. He should save us for his own sake. And then the rabbis continue. So the Chazal say that this Hallel wasn't established for any one particular event, but rather that the prophets themselves instituted it. So they should say it at any appropriate time. And that's what we've just seen, that you can apply it to any appropriate time. So perhaps this question that's initially asked of, you know, when was it when was it said is perhaps a better phrasing of of you know, when was it said, as compared to when was it first said. I'm not sure that the interpretation of the Gemara that says that the question is when it's first said, I'm not sure that that's as precise of a question given the various responses, and especially the statement here that says, well, they instituted that it should be said 
I'll call Paracle Parak at any time, any appropriate, you know, time of need, every trouble in in uh, Jewish history. At any time that we are redeemed, any time we experience redemption, this is the appropriate praise to say. Uh, so, so which makes perfect sense then that it would be part of the Pesach story in terms of our experience of recreating, right? That the Seder does a certain amount of recreating or, or reminiscing of the time of, of the exodus of Egypt. And then, of course, we're going to say our own praises of that event. And so this would be, of course, part of the Seder. Yes, I understand it's also part of all Hallel's, or that's not even a quite true. This part is not recited when we say a Chatzi Hallel. Uh, for example, Rosh Chodesh, whatever. Um, okay, I want to jump down now to the very end of the daf because we've got, uh, we want to just follow through our with the Seder, which we have one more Mishnah here, um, which again takes us to, in fact, the third cup, right? Mazgul koshlishi, they pour the third cup, or again, they dilute the third cup. Mavarech al mozgo, and they make a, they bless over the, I'm sorry, mavarech al mizono, they make a blessing over the food. Um, because this is the bracha of of Birkat Hamazon, right? That they're making the blessing over the food that they have just eaten. And this is when you call it, we call it benching over a coast. That you make your, your Birkat Hamazon, you give it um, extra importance by reciting it over a cup of wine or grape juice, I suppose. And we've talked about this in the past as well. Rivi'i, and then the, the point is that um, the fourth cup, they're going to pour the fourth cup. Gomer alavata et halel. And we recite halel over that fourth cup. Vomer alav birkat And we say these blessings um, of song, uh, you know, over this fourth cup. And the idea is that it, you know, throughout the Seder, between the cups, meaning from Kiddush onward, you're allowed to drink in between. It's not just the cups of wine for the four cups. You could drink whatever else you want along the way. Um, but once you've hit the third cup, between the third cup and the fourth cup, the presumption is that you should not be drinking. Um, I think in terms of how we carry that out, people certainly drink water, I think. But then, you know, and then after that, you're not even supposed to have water after the fourth cup when the cedar is concluded. Um, and so then the Gemara here discussed this idea of, of benching over a cup of wine, and we're going to stop here, um, both in the interest of time and also because the daf itself fundamentally ends, and we will pick this up again, you know, more on this Hallel phenomenon uh, with tomorrow's daf. That's our daf discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this daf on our Talking Talmud Facebook page, and until tomorrow, go and learn.